0: I want you to take a look at the title this morning for just a little bit I want you to just kind of go ahead and just uh, let it kind of soak in for just a minute Be bold when adversity strikes Be bold when adversity strikes Acts chapter 4 verse 13 through 22 today is our text You know it's not a matter of if adversity will come It is a matter of when adversity will come It's not a matter of if It's a matter of when because you have either just gone through adversity, or you're going through adversity, or you're going to be going into adversity, it will come. It's going to happen. As it does in the heart and the life of Simon, Peter, and John in our text this morning in Acts 4, 13 through 22. Now the passage that we're dealing with this morning is a passage that uh, Pastor Mike dealt with pretty well. Pretty, pretty pretty well last week i guess i i was i keep continually being impressed pastor mike about your uh, you just kind of you you went with the spirit man and i was good you just kind of he's learning to let loose sometimes i'm a little too loose pastor mike but uh, that's okay and in acts chapter 4 verse 13 we see this text actually beginning in Acts chapter 3. Now let me recap it for a minute because I know you've slept since last week and some of you were not here last week and and it is summertime and it's July and people are on vacation on mission trips and all that. So in Acts chapter 3 we have this beautiful encounter where the narrative actually begins when, when Simon Peter and John are walking into the temple during the time of prayer. It's late in the evening and as they are walking into the courtyard of the temple they have to pass this gate called the beautiful gate now they've passed through this gate numerous times in and out of the place of worship it is in the courtyard of the temple near Solomon's porch where I believe many of the new converts are gathering because they didn't have a church facility like this and there were 3,000 that were saved in Acts chapter 2 so there had to be somewhere for them to congregate and I believe they congregated in Solomon's area in that courtyard area and so simon peter and john i think were on their way during the time of prayer to encounter the other believers and to be able to look for opportunities to share the gospel But this particular day in Acts chapter 3 was different than the others because as they are going through this beautiful gate, a gate they had gone through many times, their eye catches the eye of a man who has been sitting at this beautiful gate for 40 years, a long time. He's been crippled. He's been lame. He has been forced in humiliation to beg for his livelihood. And his friends carry him there every day, every day. He doesn't miss a day for fear that he would lose his spot. It's a great place to be because it is in that spot that people are going in and out of the place of worship. And he's hoping that as he encounters them, these would be the most compassionate, the most giving people that would attend to his financial need. It's also a great opportunity for him to sort of inflict a little bit of guilt. You know what I'm saying? You're going in to worship God and you're passing me up as a lame beggar who's forced to beg for my livelihood. And he makes eye contact with Simon Peter. And he sizes him up And he asks Simon Peter on this occasion For some alms He begs for some financial support And Simon Peter says that beautiful phrase That we all remember He says to him as he goes down to him He says silver and gold have I none But in the name of Jesus of Nazareth Rise and walk And he reaches down and He picks up the lame man And the Holy Spirit heals the man's lameness And he rises to his feet He doesn't just rise to his feet He begins to leap He begins to dance He begins to rejoice This man has been lame his whole life And now he's been cured of his disease And he is walking for the first time Imagine you being in his sandals Sitting at that place That beautiful gate for 40 years Watching people come and go Imagining what it's like to walk Seeing children play and run And imagining what his life should have been like And what he has missed out on all of his life And now all of a sudden The name of Jesus and his faith in Christ He has been healed of his disease And he is now walking He is not just walking like a Baptist, you know Okay I mean, he's walking like a Pentecostal You know or maybe a Bapticostal. And the guy's dancing, and he's leaping, and he's praising God, and he's raising his hands, and he's loud, and here we see now, Simon, Peter, and John, and this lame man who has never been allowed in the temple makes his way through the gate for the first time and into the temple courtyard, and there he is going to worship and pray with the others. That privilege, he's been denied all of his life. And as they walk in together, the three, some people recognize and realize, isn't that the dude that's been sitting down at the gate all those years? And they decided to do a double take, so to speak. And finally, they recognize and realize that, yes, that is the dude. He's been sitting there at the beautiful gate all of these years. Now he's walking, and he's inside of the temple court, worshiping and praying with us. How odd is that? How does this happen? It strikes strikes curiosity, and a mob or a crowd or a gathering quickly comes together around Simon, Peter, John, and the lame man, the three in the courtyard, There are so many that gather Guess what Simon Peter does In uh, in, in, in in Acts chapter 3 Guess what he does He seizes the opportunity What's he going to do He's going to preach And he steps onto the podium On Solomon's porch And uses it as his platform And he proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ who, Who was dead But who was raised from the dead And he's preaching And some indicate According to the interpretation of the passage That it was a tag team type of thing, Pastor Mike Where Simon Peter may have preached some And then John preached some You don't believe that? You don't like tag team preaching? I've done it a couple times in, in, in in the years Maybe you and I might do that sometime uh, you get bored of listening to one Maybe you might listen to the other or something I'm not sure But, but they some believe they tag teamed while they preached And nevertheless they were preaching this beautiful message About the resurrection of Jesus And the power that it took to heal this man And that Jesus was in fact The Messiah And these men who During their custom was to enter into the courtyard To begin to assemble the people For the uh, for, for the prayer time And Thousands of people are gathered there Listening to Simon, Peter, and John Preach the gospel And they're enraged by that I mean we're talking thousands How do you know there are thousands? Because we know that 5,000 men were saved Because of this one message So you got to believe that there are 5,000 who were saved There had to be more than that who were there Unless all of them got saved But I don't know about you But 5,000 is a large crowd Especially in this courtyard In the temple near Solomon's porch And there's this large crowd And, and in order to preach I would imagine that Simon Peter is yelling He didn't have a microphone like I have And so he's proclaiming the, the resurrected, resurrected Jesus And all of a sudden Then here comes the chief of police from the temple Arrest the two And take them into prison and the reason they're take, taken into prison is because it's close to nighttime and it's too late to convene a court. And so they are now in prison until morning. Well, Acts chapter 4 becomes morning and they are dragged out of the prison cell and they are put before the Sanhedrin. 71 of the cream of the crop. These are the who's who of Israel. They are the men who have been assigned the responsibility of keeping the peace in Jerusalem. Even though Israel was under the occupation of Rome, Rome allowed these, these men to sort of govern their own, their own nation as long as they could keep the peace. And they wanted to make sure that, that they kept the peace because they didn't want to lose their freedom in sitting over the government of their own people. So they were worried about that, but I think they were more worried also about the protection of their own religious traditions because you see what Simon Peter and John were proclaiming was against their own teachings, against their own traditions. And so they had a twofold purpose, I think. And they were, they were, they were wanting to sort of squelch what was going on. I mean, that, that's a large crowd in, inside of their house, inside of their courtyard or someone else is invading and stealing their sheep. And so the court of the tribunal begins And if you can imagine Simon Peter and John And the lame man The three are there before this, this, this court It's kind of like a I'm not sure exactly how it is And some people sort of imagine That it's kind of like, like a choir loft here And all these guys And they're surrounded like this And, and the, the three are, are standing now In front of this judicial system of 71 men This judicial system by the way Was started with Moses And it's continued until the day of Jesus And in this time And now they're sitting in judgment of these two men and the man who was cured of his disease. And it's interesting that the scriptures point out for us that the opening line for the interrogation was: by whose name and by whose power did you do this? And I can imagine they pointed to the man who was lame. By whose authority or by whose power and in whose name did you do this? And Pastor Mike did a great job last week And he talked about the message that then Simon Peter, the Bible says, filled with the Holy Spirit He was filled with the Holy Spirit before he spoke Now we know that Simon Peter was present in the upper room, right? So in the upper room he received the Holy Spirit When it came as tongues of fire and landed on his head and the, bi- the passage also tells us that when it landed on him and he received the gift of the Holy Spirit, he was also filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Now in Acts chapter 4, we see Simon Peter again being filled with the Holy Spirit. What's up with that? Being filled with the Holy Spirit a second time. Well, you say, Pastor, you're kind of getting Pentecostal, aren't you? You know, Baptists have shied away from the Holy Spirit so long that we have we have Quench the spirit of God In our lives and in our church And the filling of the Holy Spirit Is intended by God to be more than once In your lifetime For Simon Peter Is filled with the Holy Spirit And as he is filled with the Holy Spirit He then begins to preach Again to these 71 And he says You are the ones responsible for killing Jesus Because you rejected him And then he has the boldness to say Jesus is the only way by which man can be saved There is no other name and no other way by which mankind can be saved And that was huge for them because you see they rejected Jesus They crucified Jesus Actually it was the plan that they fulfilled that God originally purposed But they were responsible for rejecting Him and crucifying Him They were guilty And He was calling them to repentance And they were enraged by His accusations And now we come to Acts chapter 4 verse 13 Where today we're going to look at The boldness that we need to have When we are faced with adversity For adversity will come What do you mean by that? These men were called by Jesus himself They were Christ's disciples They were recipients of the filling of the Holy Spirit and they were doing what Jesus had commissioned them to do remember in Acts 2 Acts 1 actually he says that you're going to receive a baptism greater than the baptism of John you're going to receive a baptism of the Holy Spirit and that will then give you the power to do what to do what come on church Acts 1 8 what does it say what you will be my witnesses where Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They were doing what God had commissioned them to do through Jesus. They were being filled with the Spirit, and as soon as that happened, remember in Acts chapter 2, Simon Peter steps out. He boldly preaches the first Spirit-filled gospel message ever preached to the church, through the church, and 3,000 approximately men are saved. And so here we see they're doing what God has called them to do. They're doing what Jesus had commissioned them to do, and they were in the right place, doing the right thing, and yet they are recipients of this adversity, striking them in the midst and in the center of the will of God. You don't have to be outside of the will of God or the center of the will of God to have adversity. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced you're going to have more adversity in the center of the will of God than outside of the will of God. Because the objective of diversity is to keep you from being in the center of the will of God. When you're outside of the will of God, you're already outside of the will of God, and the adversity is not going to come upon you as strong as it is when you're in the center of God's will. And adversity comes. So, the question as we take a look at this passage very quickly today is simply this How will I react when adversity strikes? How will I, how will you, how will we react when adversity strikes? Well, let's take a look at five things. When adversity strikes, number one, we want to reflect authenticity. Reflect authenticity. You see, one of the things that adversity tries to do is it tries to get you and I to compromise and to stoop down to its level. Adversity wants to bring you down from the mountaintop. Adversity wants to hinder and hurt your walk with Jesus and get you down in the muck and to play the dirtiness and the filthiness of the world. So when adversity strikes, we need to reflect authenticity. These disciples were not going to come down to a lower level to engage in battle with these men. They stayed and remained on the higher level because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and adversity strikes, we allow the Spirit of God to reflect authenticity through our testimony. Notice what happened in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Interesting, verse 13, they saw what? Their boldness. Their boldness. These were the supreme court of Israel. They had life and death in their hands. And yet we see Simon, Peter, and John in the midst of this adversity recognizing that these men had the authority to kill them or to imprison them for life. And yet it says they saw their boldness, they saw their courage, they saw their confidence. Standing before this adversity did not cause them to be any less confident or any less courageous or any less bold than before. They were standing before thousands of people proclaiming the gospel. And you would think that would be bold enough. Now, before this Sanhedrin, these 71 who had the authority to take his life or to, to give him life, he showed boldness rather than cowardice. Notice they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They perceived, they saw that they were uneducated. I mean, they were stupid. They were just uneducated. They were common men. It's a great thing to be called common, I think. But you see these 71 who were in this judicial position, the who's who of Israel, put a lot of stock in their education. They got there because of their education, and they have believed since the time they were little boys, the only way to advance themselves and become anybody in their society was through education. And they did everything they could to be Instructed by the, the greatest masters and to go to the greatest schools And these men had not been to university They had not been to, uh, to, to a seminary They had not sat under some, some well-known rabbi They were just common, uneducated, normal men You know what? I'd take a common, uneducated man filled with the Holy Spirit Over an educated man without the Holy Spirit every single day now, I can say that. You know why I can say that? I have all the degrees. I could get another doctorate, but what would that do? And people want to know, well, what do you think about your doctor? And I said, well, a doctorate, kind of like W.A. Crystal one time said, it's kind of like the, the tail on the rear end of a pig. That's what a doctorate is. It doesn't look good. It doesn't cover up anything. It's just there. An education doesn't make you anybody or anything, really, when it comes to spiritual things. And sometimes the most uneducated common people filled with the Holy Spirit can be as educated and as wise as anybody with a degree. Notice they recognize that they had been with Jesus. Wouldn't you like somebody to say that about you? You know, I recognize they've been with Jesus. You know, the only way that you can overcome adversity is to be with Jesus. And the reason why some of us are defeated is because we're not with Jesus. We're not been with Jesus. The only time we come to to an opportunity to be with Him is when we come to a place of worship or when we sit through life here. But Monday through Saturday, we never open our Bible. We never take time to pray. We never take time to relate to Him on a personal level. And we wonder why our life is defeated and why we can't overcome adversity. Authenticity spends time with Jesus. Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday. And they had been... Taught by Jesus Christ was their master He was their Lord And they sat at his feet And heard and saw Jesus not only disciple them But model for them what discipleship Was like Notice verse 14 But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them The man that was Beside them was, was the lame man Remember that was by the beautiful gate That had been healed We placed his faith and trust in Jesus And it was cured of his his lameness. And here this man, if you see and take a look at the text, he was the testimony that was standing before them of the power of a transformed life. And there was no, no way they could refute that. And so the passage tells us they had nothing to say in opposition. They were silenced. You want to know what silences the opposition? Authenticity. Walking the walk, living the life, connected intimately with Jesus. When adversity strikes, don't stoop down to the lower level of the world and to the enemy, but stay above that and reflect authenticity. Number two, when adversity strikes, not only reflect authenticity, but rest in God's sovereignty. Notice the passage in verse 15, because we see here that God is on the throne. God is on the throne. And because God is on the throne And Simon Peter and John know that God is on the throne They put their trust in God rather than government I said they put their trust in God rather than in government Isn't that a message we need today? Verse 15 We learn about adversity because adversity likes to conspire in secret How do you know that? Look at the text, verse 15 But when they had commanded them to leave the council They conferred with one another Here we have these two who are here These messengers, these men Who have been proclaiming this beautiful message Of the gospel of Jesus They have been arrested Now they are standing before this kangaroo court And now they have reached the point In the place in which these guys want to conspire They want to counsel one another They want to confer with one another What do you think? What do I think? You know, they're, They're problem solving here They've got the right people in the room. They have diagnosed what the problem is, and now they're trying to figure out what we do now about the problem. And we can't discuss the problem because he's standing in the room. So we've got to remove him so that we can then sort of conspire among ourselves. In other words, what adversity likes to do, it likes to keep you in the dark. It doesn't like to let you in on what they plan to do before they do it. And so they're conspiring here, seeking counsel with one another. Notice then verse 16, a verse it only conspires in secret, but it cannot acknowledge the work of the activity of God. Because you see, if it does, then it has to admit that God is greater and they are less. Notice verse 16, what shall we do with these men for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. They want to deny it, but they can't. They, want to, they don't want to admit that God's at work here. They don't want to see his activity. Because if they admit that God is working and God is active and God transformed this man's life, guess what? They are wrong. And they rejected and they crucified Christ. And now they are the ones who need to repent and receive Jesus. And they are not going to acknowledge that, that, that God has been actively working and that, that this man has been healed by the divine power of God through these two men. But notice adversity also combats the spread of the gospel because there's nothing That adversity wants to do in and through God's people is to stop the spread of the Gospel because we see in verse 17 But in order that it may spread no Further among the people let us warn Them to speak no more to anyone In his name The goal is to prevent Them from continuing to preach about the gospel of Jesus they want to Stop the spread of the gospel they want to stop people From coming to faith in Christ Now I want to go back a little bit. If you can imagine Simon Peter and John, they're on the platform and they're preaching. They're arrested by the chief of police from the temple, drugged by the the uh, Sadducees, into jail, and they spend the night there. We don't know what they did in that cell during that time. What do you imagine that they did, these three men? What do you imagine? You think they complained? Think they argued? Think they had a debate about what they should and shouldn't have done? You think they questioned, God, where are you and why are we here? We were obeying your will. We were doing your will. And in the center of your will. We're proclaiming your message. We've done it in the power of the Spirit. 5,000 were saved and now we're in jail. You think they did that? What do you think they did? Then we see them in the morning. They're sent before the Sanhedrin, the 71 men, and they're standing there. Now they're back in prison again, right? They're back again, waiting on the verdict. And as they're waiting on the verdict, what do you think that most criminals, when they're waiting for the verdict, what do you think they're doing in prison? Wondering about the, what the outcome's gonna be, right? Because their life is in the hands of those who are sitting in judgment over their condition. Are they guilty or are they innocent? I'm convinced that these men cared nothing about this judgment from this. Man government because they knew that God was on the throne that God is sovereign and that nothing happens to them That's not in accordance to his perfect will he either allowed it or he has done it And because of that and because they know that God is sitting on the throne That they are completely putting their trust in him because he is lord of the outcome And that's what adversity wants to get us to do is not to believe in the sovereignty of God sitting on his throne, reigning and ruling over our circumstance and our situation. To get us into a complaining mode and a critical mode and a why me mode and all those self-pity party things and take our eyes off God who is the one who is reigning and ruling on the throne because he and he alone is the one who is Lord over our lives, over our circumstance, and over our situation. So when adversity strikes, reflect authenticity. Rest in God's sovereignty. Number three, remain faithful to the call. Remain faithful to the call. The enemy's attempt is to get them to compromise. He wants to, in this passage, to repurpose what they have set out to do. He wants to give them a different purpose than what Jesus had given them to do. And that's what adversity wants to do. It wants, it wants to get us off of course from going and doing the things that God wants to do, going in the direction that God has called, and to get into another direction to do something else. Notice verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. What's the ruling? To stop the proclamation of the Word of God That word speak means to proclaim To preach, to teach the gospel of Jesus And the word here teach means to equip It means to instruct What were they doing? They were doing exactly what Jesus called them to do They were making disciples Not just converts, but they were making disciples They were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus And then they were instructing them What it meant to follow Jesus And they wanted to stop that Notice what happens next in verse 19, that Peter and John answered them. What's their answer? What's their reply? Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. What are they saying by that? Hey, guys, I know you're the government, but I know what God said. And I don't care what the government says. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. The government tells us today there are a lot of things that are permissible. It began with slavery, really. And I believe slavery was as biblically wrong then as it is today. The government tells us that abortion is legal. I don't care what the government says. What does God say? The government tells us that same-sex marriage is accurate, but what does God say? It doesn't matter what the government says. What does God say? And it's what God says that should matter to those of us who are disciples of Jesus. And we must remain faithful to the word, to the will, and to the call of God. Number 20, verse 24. We cannot, notice they say, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. You know what? I wish we had a church full of people like this. That are so filled with the Holy Spirit, they can't but tell people about Jesus. They can't stop. Not because they're forcing it, because they are so filled with the Holy Spirit that something within them is welling up and they can't be silent. These men are saying, We cannot be silent, no matter how much you try to do to silence us, we can't be silent. They're not saying we won't be silent. They say we cannot be silent. There's something within us that will not allow us to be silent. You're going to have to kill us to keep us quiet. We cannot be quiet because they know who Jesus is and they know the power that he can do to transform their lives. And isn't it too sad today that sometimes adversity has caused the church to sort of Repurpose ourselves And we do a lot of great things In church today We have great facilities We have great lights We have great music We have mediocre preaching And we focus a lot on the things That I believe While they have their importance And their value Are not the primary purpose For why we're here and the adversity that the gospel and those who are Christ followers and those who are evangelicals today have allowed ourselves to be so repurposed by this Adversity. We we become involved in politics, or we become involved in a political individual, or we become involved in feeding the hungry, or we become involved in great programs, or we become involved in even scripture memory, or we become involved in great musicals, and we forget that while those things may have their place, the only purpose that we have is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, and that is it. There's nothing else. That should matter to us. All this doesn't make a hill of beans if we somehow allow the adversity that comes against the church and it's going to intensify in the years to come. And he will try to get us to divert our attention and try to get us to advert from our message, but our message should never change. It is Jesus who lived and who died, but who rose from the grave and it is only by him and through him can you be saved. Number four, when adversity strikes reflect authenticity, rest in God's sovereignty, remain faithful to the call Number four, rely on spiritual support No man is an island No woman can survive on her own who is a disciple of Jesus And somehow what the enemy tries to do is somehow try to convince us that we don't need anyone else and there are people today who call themselves Christians Who have no contact, no connection to a community of faith And they're out there trying to live the Christian life By listening to the radio and doing their own self-studies Or maybe in a little small group called a, a small group Bible study And they're not connected to a community of faith there is, there is power and there is strength When God's people come together in large numbers There is and I think those who are not on a regular, habitual, Sunday-by-Sunday basis connecting to a, a community of faith like a church, who have cut themselves off because they don't want to tithe or they don't want to work or whatever it is. They give all kinds of reasons. I've heard them. There are small group Bible studies all throughout Wichita, and, and they're meeting in homes, and they don't. We're not, but we don't belong to a church. We're our own little church. I, I, I think there's a danger in that. Let's look at the text Verse 21 And when they had further threatened them The intimidation man You know after the response that Simon Peter gave And John gave And, and maybe even the lame man that was now healed They said no we're not going to be silent I mean can you imagine telling the lame guy to be quiet He's just been transformed supernaturally By his faith in Jesus He's not going to be silent either They let him go But notice this here At the end of this verse Finding no way to punish them Because of the people Finding no way to punish them Because Don't overlook that Because of what? Not because of God They don't fear God They think their self-righteousness Is going to get them into heaven They think they're on the right side of God But they're on the wrong side Because they're so filled with religious traditions And their own blindness They can't see the truth They are afraid of the people. What people do you ask? I'm convinced they're afraid of, of the people of God, not the people of Jerusalem, but the people of God. There were so many. Keep in mind, there were 120 in the upper room. There were close to 3,000 people that were saved right after Pentecost. There were 5,000 that were saved while he was preaching from the platform in Solomon's court. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good number of people. There were probably thousands and thousands of others who have come to faith in Christ. We just don't have a record to it. And they were so overwhelmed by the numbers they were afraid they were losing their influence and their political pull and they polled the people who were the Christians and realized we better not do this or we're going to be in trouble with the church imagine the church dictating the policy of the government there's power in the people but more than that they released they released Peter and John why because of other believers it was the strength of the church that gave them political pull. Never underestimate the strength of our numbers and being connected to the body of Christ and how that strengthens you. What Satan wants to do in the adversity that comes is he wants to isolate you because if he can get you away from other believers and away from your life group and away from the church, guess what? You're going to become a victim. You're going to fall You're not going to be strong enough You see, Simon Peter and John were not just standing there Filled with the Holy Spirit with God over them But there were some people, I believe, out in the courtyard Who were praying for them And it was that influence that caused these people To change the course of the direction That I believe they wanted to take And then notice the second part of verse 21 There's something, not only people, but notice the praise it's interesting that he says, For all we're praising God for what had happened. How can you praise God if you don't know Jesus? You going to answer me that? You can't. Which is one of the reasons why I think churches who try to build secret churches and worship so that unbelievers can join us in worship are wasting their time because you cannot encourage unbelievers to worship a God they do not know. Who were the people that were praising God? I believe they were the believers. In the outer courts, singing, praising, praying for their brothers who were in jail. And I can't imagine while they're holding court that just maybe, just maybe they could hear the sound of the praises coming from the people in Solomon's court on behalf of their three brothers standing before a trial. And they were swayed by that. Notice verse 23 in chapter 4. We'll come to that next week. For when they were released, they went to their what? Their friends. They had friends. They had a fellowship. They had a family. They had a church. They knew was there for them. And when you get in a jam, there's nothing like God's people. And there's nothing like praise. They can help you through your adversity. Lastly, when adversity strikes, reflect authenticity, rest in God's sovereignty, remain faithful to the call, rely on spiritual support, and remember your purpose. Remember your purpose. What is their purpose? What is their purpose? Their purpose is defined in verse 22. Notice it says, for the man of whom this sign, is, sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years ago. I scratched my head on this. And I'm thinking, why did the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to put that in this particular place? I mean, he already talked about him in two whole chapters. And why this final little verse here tucked away here. Why? And I think it's to remind us who are readers that Simon Peter and John's purpose was for this lost man. They were sent for his salvation. He was their mission. He was their focus. He was their purpose. It wasn't about them. You see, adversity wants us to look in the mirror and say, it's all about me. Simon Peter could have said, well, I'm here because I'm preaching the gospel, and I'm here because of Jesus, and it's me, and it's me. And and John could have said the same thing. It's me, and it's me, because there were many other times when they were with Jesus when it was all about them, remember? But now on this occasion, when they're standing before 71 of the Sanhedrin who, who were asking them, by whose name are you doing this? They are standing there, and it's not about them. It's been all about this lame man who needs a cure that he cannot cure himself. And it's a cure that can only come through faith in the name of Jesus of Nazareth and no one else. And isn't it true that I think sometimes you and I take the focus off of the real purpose for why we are here. And we make it all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about Charles Boswell. I'm the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church all about me. I mean, me, 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 me. Pooey, (laughs) it's not about me, and it's not about you. It's not really even about us. It's about the lost in this community that desperately need to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And that is the only reason why we exist. And that is the only reason why we are here. And that is the only reason why we've given the message that we've been given is to take the gospel of Jesus to our community and to the world. That's why we had three teams this last week, one in Seattle, one in in Vancouver, and, and, and one in Louisville, Kentucky. I met a young lady on Saturday while we were ministering to the heathen in the streets of Kitsilano. I mean, we served in a street festival. <laughs> and uh, Aaron encouraged us to make friends and invite them for dinner or for coffee or something. And that sounds kind of strange I mean, you would think, well, how could that happen? And I sat at an information booth. I had a really hard job. Right, Gary? I mean, mine was a tough job. I sat in a, under a shade and drank cool water and just told people where to go all day. I was kind of, I mean, can you see me doing that? That's a pretty good job for me. But anyway, I don't know how she pegged me for that, but that was a good job. And uh, I mean, and there was there was several miles of people on this street. And, and I'm sitting next to this lady. Her name is Mim. And we got to talking about her life and why she's in Vancouver. And she had been to Brazil for a year, which I speak Portuguese. Is that... You think that's a divine appointment there? Here's a Korean who graduated from school in Korea University Who went to Brazil to learn Portuguese for a year Who now is in Vancouver to learn English Sitting next to me who knows fluent Portuguese That is a divine appointment And she introduces me to a Brazilian guy And we invite her to our house that night to eat But we got to talking about God She said, I don't believe in God Where do you start with that? To tell somebody about Jesus when they don't believe in God. And yet, why did we go to Vancouver to work the way we did? Why did we go to Louisville, Kentucky? Why did we go to Seattle, Washington? For others. We didn't go there for sightseeing, we didn't go there for pleasure Trust me, I could do a lot of other things for pleasure that cost a whole lot less and require a lot less of my energy Because I'm still on Vancouver time It's about others And when we become inward focused Because of adversity, you know what adversity does? It causes us to build up this wall around ourselves and to hone ourselves in so we can protect what we got. We don't want anybody. We're going to protect it. Isn't he strong enough to protect it? I want to show you a picture of a man that I met on Monday. Show me that slide. Iglesia Hispánica. Hispanic Church Let me read you his letter to me And I'll show you and tell you a little bit more about him Dear Pastor Charles He wrote this to me yesterday First of all I would like to express That my wife and I were very encouraged And delighted by your visit To our missionary field Thank you, please also extend our gratitude To every member of your congregation Once more, we also went to confirm the joy that we have in our hearts for the opportunity to be foreign Baptist missionaries in Linden, Washington. He sees himself as a foreign missionary in Linden, Washington, the second largest city in Whatcom County. Yes, by God's grace, we are the first non-white church planters in this predominant Dutch region where Dutch is still spoken by some of the town's residents. In fact, in God's sovereign plans, he had planted the first ethnic Christian church in this city. They had planted the first ethnic Christian church, Baptist church, in this city. The first one. Thousands of migrant workers come from all over the world, especially South America, to work in those fields This man is an incredible man, Ivan Montenegro. He is a man who, listen, he, he has this church, and he preaches, and when he preaches, he puts his message on the radio so that he can take then a receiver out into the fields so while the migrants are working in the fields on Sunday morning, they can hear the gospel being preached. Is that amazing or what? He's had 200 baptisms this year, and he trains 50 pastors how to become pastors, and he's planted 11 churches. The guy's a beast. And paradoxically, he says, the Hispanic Baptist Church building is located in 1907 Front Street. A street which has been made over with a Dutch theme. Actually, along Front Street, you'll find only Dutch businesses, including Dutch bakery, Dutch restaurants, Dutch reformed churches, etc. Even though at one time, Linden held the world record... Listen to this. Lyndon held the, the world record for the most churches per square mile per capita in the United States. Some of its residents were disturbed by our church presence in their town. You know, when Patty and I were traveling in their town on Tuesday, we were kind of shocked because this town is so clean, there's not a, a speck of dirt on the ground. It, it, it looks immaculate. And it's so immaculate, it's scary you know you know it's weird i'm telling you furthermore a few months ago listen to this there was a group of linden residents who have come over to our church premises to protest about our presence here the angry mob invited us to vacate the church building and to leave their town This mob surrounded the church and beat on the church doors demanding that this South American, this Spanish-speaking church leave their city. This is the United States of America. Leave our city. We decided to ignore the unexpected furious visitors and to keep quiet and on prayer until they left. Can you imagine being a congregation of about 75 people in a church Where you're surrounded by nothing but white people who are beating on your church demanding that you leave This is America You're saying we don't have adversity in America It's coming It's here We've had centuries of freedom and to worship But it's coming to America However Listen to this, this is a miracle The next Sunday there was a large group of Linden residents Surprisingly surrounded our church premises To show their love and support for us Show me the next slide There's a picture of it in the newspaper Now you can't see them because they're shrubs But they are surrounding the church And they are praying for this church They brought a banner that states Supporting our brother and sisters in Christ Show me the next slide they put that out in front of the church. You want to know where that sign is today? Show me the next slide. It's on the wall in their worship center. Now their worship center is about the size of our old library over here across from the new library. It's not very big. And can you can see the holes in the walls and all that. They need some they need some help, Mike. They need some some patchwork done. But that's on the wall. You know why that's on the wall? is to remind them that there are brothers and sisters who support them and who love them and who are praying for them in spite of the hatred in that community. Please pray for us, brother. Thanks again for your friendship and prayers. I'm happy to say that I pray for this man every Sunday morning. I wish I were as bold as he was. I wish I were as bold as he is. He inspires me. His boldness is intoxicating. And I wonder as we close with the next slide will you be bold when adversity strikes? It may come when you're. At school, it may come on the playground, it may come on the ball field, it may come at your place of employment, it may come in the grocery store, it may come even on your way to church. But the question as we close is once again this, what's my next step? Let's pray.